It's taken from Daniel, chapter 4, verses 8 to 15, and it can be found on page 887 of the Bible. Page 887. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. The second reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, on page 980. Page 980. I'm sorry, it's not, it's 900 and... No, I am right, 80. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted it in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Should we just pray as we uh, look at this passage just before we do? Thank you, Lord, that your word doesn't return empty and you achieve the purpose for which you've called it to do. So as we listen to your word, as we put ourselves under your word, I pray that you'd touch our hearts where we need encouraging or where we need um, a challenge um, or you've got a task set for us that you want to give us tonight, I pray that you'd show those to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Many of you will know the story of Korea in the 20th century. Um, I read a book, and one of the guys, or the guy, the author, he said, it's one of the greatest turnarounds in history. 
On the back of a brutal 36-year occupation by Japan, Korea suffered again at the hands of a cruel dictator, Kim Il-sung. And the Korean War that followed as he tried to unite the, the nation under communism after, during his time. Five million killed, 10 million displaced from their families, and 100,000 orphans. As Korea split in half, two poverty-stricken nations emerged. At the beginning of the 20th century, the Christians numbered half a percent of the population. But the few Christians committed themselves to faithful gospel preaching and to education. And they educated people through the scriptures, which they translated into a simpler form of the language. Currently, over 30% of the nation are committed Christians. Ten of the 11 largest churches in the world are in Korea. And they send the, most, the second most missionaries in the world, second to the U.S., which is a nation over six times its population. Each morning, if you go there, hundreds of thousands of people are in church praying at five o'clock in the morning, a lot earlier than our Burning Man, if some of you go to that, before they head to work. South Korea has also taken great strides in technology. It's the most wired nation, education and illiteracy. Illiter- sorry, and literacy. Illiteracy is 0.002%, astonishing given that most of the nation was illiterate 100 years earlier. History is showered with similar stories. By the way, that's the Seoul skyline. It's covered with all these crosses on a Sunday night, lit up. Um, It's an incredible sight. History is showered with similar stories, stories of church growth and of transformation of society. And that's what Jesus has described in these two parables that we've just had read in Matthew 13. In verse 34, look down with me, um, Matthew highlights that most of the teachings Jesus gave are in the form of parables. Um, David Paulson, some of you will know, um, the great controversial Baptist preacher, he um, helps highlight how parables are used. He says, Jesus was presenting the truth in such a way that it would be revealed to the right people and hidden from the wrong people. The parable is a very brilliant device for doing this. Hidden from the... uh, Revealed to the right people and hidden from the wrong people. That's how it is. So let's look in, let's dive into the parables. The first one of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. This one teaches us that the kingdom is like the mustard seed whose exponential growth none can exceed. It's about the growth of the worldwide church. It's about growth that's exponential. It's spectacular growth. The kingdom is like the mustard seed whose exponential growth none can exceed. It's a wonderfully short parable, isn't it? But it packs a punch. So what do we learn about the kingdom of God in it? The mustard seed was a proverbial expression for small, weak, I've got a couple actually here, and seemingly insignificant beginnings. 
Here it refers to the church. You'll remember Jesus talks about if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. The beginnings of the church have been small and weak and unimpressive. Think of one Galilean preacher dying on a cross. He just had a couple of friends, a couple of ladies who didn't desert him. But just one Galilean preacher. How could a world be changed through him? But God loves small beginnings. John Ash used to always remind us that Zechariah passage. Do not despise those small beginnings. Jesus' first arrival, it was small as a weak, small baby in a dirty animal barn. And the beginnings of the church have been weak. The cross is a stumbling block for Jews. It's foolishness to the gentleness. Yet that's what the church has proclaimed and is founded on. The people in the church, we've also got an unimpressive and despised beginnings. Think of the Corinthian church. Paul lists, he says, you guys, you've got sexual immorality amongst you, thieves, you've been greedy, you're drunkards and you're swindlers. Not exactly the the sort of stuff you brag about. But the mustard seed parable also shows us that while the beginnings are weak, there's promised spectacular growth. Growth with with most plants is really slow. I think of, uh, we've got a couple of tomatoes in our garden, they're so slow at coming out got some strawberries, terribly slow, and then the birds go and eat them all. But with the mustard seed, it becomes something really impressive. The smallest becomes, look with me at verse 32. He says, it's the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree. The church has had spectacular growth. As we look through the Gospels and Acts, we see how in the short space of time, The death and resurrection of one Jesus led to 11 disciples being fired up. By the ascension, a few chapters later, you've got 120 believers. Shortly after that, Pentecost, 3,000 were added to their number. Um, I had this incredible uh, boss in India, a very godly guy. He said he reckoned the church was growing in Acts at about 40% every year. Amazing growth. And we've also witnessed extraordinary growth through the history of the church. I think of even just the last century. What growth we've had in the church. Um, Many of you will know of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. It's a a mission for an organization with lots of young people, and they go out sending missionaries. Um, Founded in 1960, now in 180 countries, training upwards of 25,000 short-term mission volunteers every year. That was only 1960. Billy Graham, whose remarkable crusades, 417 in total in his life, reached an estimated 210 million people with the good news of Jesus. In the Muslim world, and this, I love this stuff because um, my brother's in the Middle East reaching out to Muslims, there's been unprecedented growth really recently. I read this book um, where this guy's done a study of the Muslim, um, the, the church and is in the Middle East and in Islam nations. In the first 13 centuries, um, he said there were uh, five voluntary movements. No, in the first 13 centuries, yeah, there were five voluntary movements to Christ. And he called a movement, he said it's either a thousand new believers or a hundred new churches. So a church out there could be super small. Um, 
So that in the first 13 centuries, you had five uh, voluntary movements. In the last century, in the 20th century, there were 11 movements. Get this, since 2000, there have been 69 movements of people to Christ. And that's a couple of years out of date. And in London, we've had staggering growth. According to the 2012 London Church Census, 700 new churches were started in London between 2005 and 2012, equivalent to two a week. And there's, they've added 100,000 attenders to church, unprecedented growth according to church history in, in the UK. I also found that younger people in London are twice as likely to come to church, um, but of all the new people coming, for every five women, you've got one guy coming to church. So come on, guys, we've got to bring in more men. In short, there's unprecedented growth. The kingdom is like the mustard seed whose exponential growth none can exceed. But lest we get complacent, we're not there yet. The church has a long way to go. Habakkuk and Isaiah, they describe how the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. The church continues to be small and unimpressive in many parts of the world. We're a long way off that yet. Maybe it's just in your friendship circle you seem so outnumbered. There aren't any other Christians. Or in Central Asia, um, some of you will remember the Hibbert Hingstons came and they had that picture of a whole stadium. It was just five Christians that was the, the equivalent of their whole valley. There's only five Christians in their valley. It seemed so small and insignificant. Or the Middle East, where there's a lot of um, persecution. Um, I spoke to my, my twin brother this morning, and he was saying, it's so difficult being a Christian if you decide to follow Jesus in the Middle East. Um, this guy, he's been getting to know... Um, He's had to lose his whole family. They've just disowned him because he's become a follower of the Lord. And out there, the church seems so insignificant, just that pathetic, tiny mustard seed. In the world, we've got advancing secularism, militant Islam, pervasive materialism, creeping liberalism. The church can feel very insignificant and small, can't it? I had a look on the Joshua Project, um, maybe some of you have heard of it, um, which is what they, their strapline is, they're bringing definition to the unfinished task of the Great Commission. In the world, 7.4 billion people, they identify people groups. Um, so they, they've got 16,500 people groups, of which 40% of those are unreached. 40% of those people groups in the world are unreached. They call an unre a people group a people, um, or an unreached group as a people group without an indigenous community of Christians. So are you called, are you, might you be called to reach an unreached people group? In the UK I researched, I found there's 106 people groups 32 of which are described as unreached. For example, some of the most unreached people groups in the UK include the Iraqis, Moroccans, Gujaratis, Persians, Turks, loads of others. Um, 
maybe could you reach out to some of those communities, many of which have been brought to us here in London? It could start with going to a Moroccan restaurant, striking up conversation with the owner. I think of someone in my home group. um, He started a conversation with the guy cleaning the train, and uh, they've got to know each other. He's a Syrian refugee, this chap. He's come along to St. Mike's, and who knows? He wants to bring his family. Um, We've got an amazing kids' work. Did you know the kids' work here is one of the best tools we have for reaching out to people? The kingdom is like the mustard seed whose exponential growth none can exceed. Jesus describes this mustard seed as growing to a tree. This plant is not actually what we'd call the mustard seed or the mustard plant in the UK. It's called Salvadora persica. It grows to four meters tall. So that's it's a sizable thing going up to, say, the bottom of the, um, the screen up there. It's not the tallest, but it's certainly a large plant that you'd have in your garden, isn't it? And by using the word tree, I think Jesus is conjuring up the pictures of trees that we've had in the whole of Scripture. Starts with the tree, ends with the tree. Um, but we've had that Daniel reading and in Ezekiel 17 and 31. In the, the Daniel and the Ezekiel, the tree is, is the image of an empire. And you've got the Egyptian, you've got the Babylonian, the Assyrian empire. And they all become great. The birds um, perch in their branches. Um, and that's, that's a picture of the, the nations. They're, they're all within the empire. Yet these empires fall. Every single one of those in the passages, they fall. They come to ruin. World empires fall. And maybe Jesus is being subtly subversive. He's saying this impressive Roman empire with tentacles all across the known world. It's going to come down. And empires have come and fall. Right from the Aztec to the Zulu empires, they come and they go. Yet Jesus' empire will never fail. The kingdom is like the mustard seed whose exponential growth none can exceed. So how can we take heart? How can you take heart? How can I take heart? I think this parable answers a number of questions we have. Why should I carry on sharing the gospel? There's so little fruit when I share the gospel. And any signs of life, if there are any, they seem so slow. And I think this parable is here to encourage us to keep plugging away to keep sharing our faith, to keep speaking the word in season and out of season as Timothy is exhorted. As I encouraged earlier, are you being challenged to reach an unreached people group? Maybe you want to do a bit of research and pray and fast um, looking at the joshuaproject.net. That's the website. The second parable is about yeast. Let's look down at the passage. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through the dough. Yeast, um, I brought my little sachet. Do you guys, do you get given those? (laughs) A lot of married people, they get given a a bread maker when they get married. And then they they use it for the first couple of months and then they never use it again. Um... Well, you don't have to be married to have one and have that situation. If you buy a bread maker, you never use it. Anyway, this is my yeast from my bread maker. 
It's two years old. No, no, it's not. But um, yeast, anyway, appears 55 times in the scripture, um, or leaven, the word. And a significant portion of those obviously appear in the Passover, when uh, the Israelites are leaving Egypt in a rush, and they haven't got time to put yeast in their bread or in their dough to become bread. And they didn't uh, have time because they're in a hurry. And the, the thing about yeast is it takes time. It takes time to have its impact. There's no point putting it in and then in the dough and then straight in the oven because that's not the point of yeast. It's to make it rise and nice. Otherwise, you end up with pitta or chapati. Um, but the kingdom is like leaven which transforms society of heaven. It's, Jesus is using it. It's about influence and impact. Like the mustard seed, Jesus is also using the contrast of size. The yeast is so small. A tiny amount of yeast will change a vast amount of dough. And in fact, the amount of dough Jesus is talking about here, the NIV says, into a large amount of flour, that would feed 100 people. Just a small amount of yeast is going to impact a huge amount of dough. Yeast that's hidden, it's invisible initially, you can barely see it, but it makes a visible difference. The woman has to work the yeast through the whole dough until the whole dough is impacted. Christians living for Christ will impact the culture around them, even if it looks slow and appears invisible and insignificant initially. Society will be transformed where Christians are living distinctively, whether that's in the home, the family, the office, university, or sector they're engaged with. And what will the influence look like? I suggest it's servant leadership rather than self-seeking leadership, prioritizing people, not just profit, truth and transparency in dealings as opposed to lies, Embracing enemies, not exacting revenge. And history shows that Christians have transformed society, or they've helped to transform society. The first orphanages were churches. The church was the first to speak out against infanticide and polygamy. The first hospital was founded by Fabiola, a Christian. Um, Thinking of the gate, that's, that's Christians trying to influence and make a change in society. Many social causes and things promoting justice have been championed by Christians. Civil rights in the U.S. by Martin Luther King. Prison reform in the U.K. by Elizabeth Fry. And businesses have been influenced by Christians. Um, The great uh, Cadbury's, founded by Quakers, and they set up um, a town called uh, Bourneville. They made it for their employees because they're really concerned with the welfare of their employees. Christians have really impacted the workplace. Or think of Tom's shoes. Many of you will have seen the little Argentinian flag on the feet in front of you. And their slogan is one for one. And every pair you buy, someone else in a third world country who um, needs a pair of shoes, they'll be given a pair. It's an amazing project started by a Christian. Christians have also been at the helm of education. Many of the world's finest universities were established by Christians. Oxford's motto is, the Lord is my light. In all these settings, the church is bringing about transformation so that each sphere of society is impacted by Jesus' lordship. Of course, the church isn't perfect, but it's been a leader in changing many of society's ills. 
The kingdom is like the leaven which transforms society from heaven. Some of the greatest transformations in society have occurred when just a small bunch of Christians decided to change something. Think of the Clapham sect um, in the early 19th century, a group of evangelical. We can have that picture next. Yeah, they, were, they met at HD, up, Holy Trinity up on Clapham uh, Common. And uh, you had a bunch of evangelicals from all different backgrounds. You had a brewer, MPs, uh, evangelists, bankers, scholars, a governor, and the chairman of the British East, Anglia, British East India Company. And they spearheaded transformation. They started the creation of the Bible. They created the Bible Society, the Church Missionary Society, and uh, most famously of all, they... Um, passed the act to abolish slavery in this nation. The Clapham sect have been credited with playing a significant part in the development of Victorian morality through their writings, societies, and influence in Parliament. Yet, as with the mustard seed, there's a long way to go. Society still needs transformation, doesn't it? So how do we apply this today? You may feel overwhelmed at the task ahead. I certainly do. What a despised, struggling church we are. It was the same for the first hearers of the parable and the churches to whom Matthew was written. I look at the stats and I feel we're overwhelmed. Um, Yet when we look at the God we serve, we're reminded that nothing is impossible. Transformation in society has happened. Think of Nineveh from Jonah's preaching. Or the Roman Empire turned upside down by Paul's preaching and a radical and distinctive church. Geneva transformed by Calvin's preaching, pamphlets and pubs. And what's going on right now in China, although not many people know about it. I think the first thing is to be encouraged. Where you're living for Christ, at work, in your family, with your neighbours, the yeast will be influencing. It's hidden takes time but it will be influencing the kingdom is like the leaven which transforms society from heaven maybe you need to also take a step to transform an area close to your heart Um, i've got to know some chaps uh, lately who there's a bunch of them they got together i only know a couple of them but they decided we want to see slavery really got rid of there's more slavery now in the world um, than when wilberforce got it abolished there's it's incredible how many slaves there are. Um, and so they, they, they're pushing to try and get slavery abolished in the UK, um, and they want help in the global fight against slavery. Um, they actually had a garden at the Chelsea Flower Show called the Modern Slavery Garden, um, celebrating that. An act was passed uh, a year ago, the, the Modern Slavery Bill, 2015. And they want to raise awareness and see slavery ended in our generation. That's an example of the kingdom, like the leaven, transforming society from heaven. Um, I was encouraged by some of you guys starting the Pimlico Foundation um, to help youths in, uh, in this area. Or maybe you could go on to bemore.co.uk, and that's a really practical way. Lucy's actually quoted on it. Um, a really, they, they get very practical about how you can help enact change and Make a difference um, in something that you're passionate about. 
or maybe um, you need further training in an area um, that you're involved in to be a leader in it. Um, HTB have a leadership college which they, they run on Thursday evenings, so it's, it doesn't encroach on your work. Um, and that could help you be a transforming leader in your sphere, whether it's finance, business, politics, media, education, church, or even the public services. So I'll leave those steps up to you. So as we close, I think it's worthwhile taking a step back to remind ourselves where it's all heading. We need to keep that tension of the now and the not yet. The kingdom is seeing and has seen extraordinary mustard growth, but we're not there yet. The kingdom Jesus talks about will be fully realized at the end of time. And Jesus' second return won't be weak or insignificant. He'll come on clouds and all will know. And in this kingdom, all barriers will be broken down. Jew, Gentile, male, female, young, old. And indeed, the promise of the birds in, that, in the branches is a reminder that it won't just be Jews in his kingdom, but all nations will be represented. There'll be no more unreached people groups. So to close, the kingdom is like the mustard seed whose exponential growth none can exceed. Take heart, it's growing rapidly. But is there an area you can help fulfill the Great Commission? Whether it's the step of getting to know your neighbors. In our first two flats, we, we actually never got to know our neighbors. How terrible is that? But we've really tried to make an effort to get to know our neighbors, have them around at Christmas for some drinks. Or reaching an unreached people group. God is the one who gives the growth. We just have to not keep giving, not give up, keep persevering, and share the good news. The kingdom is like the leaven which transforms society from heaven. Where you're living and working, you will be influencing those around you for Christ. But maybe do you need some extra training or encouragement to help influence your spheres for the kingdom of God? Let's pray to close. Thank you, Lord, that you, um, your kingdom is growing. Thank you that uh, when we put our trust in you, your Holy Spirit resides in us, so we start being transformed and start transforming those around us. And Lord, we pray that this nation needs so much transforming this world needs so much transforming. And we pray that you'd empower your church to rise up and be uh, game changers in the spheres that we're involved with, in politics, in finance, in uh, business, all the different areas we're involved with in our families. Help us to uh, live with you as Lord and to see transformation in those areas. And we pray that if you're calling maybe just one of us tonight to reach an unreached people group. Give us the courage and the boldness to uh, follow it up, um, to take the next steps uh, in how to fulfill your, your great call to reach all nations, all people groups with your good news. In Jesus' name, amen.